Welcome to the Lawful Assembly podcast, a show about the intersection of law, religion, and activism. It is hosted by lawyer and activist Reverend Craig Moosen. It's produced by the Division of Mission and Ministry at DePaul University. Craig, uh, we're talking this morning uh, in the backdrop of some serious unrest going on in Portland. What is happening in Portland right now? Since the killing of George Floyd, Portland has experienced almost 60 straight days of some kind of protest. There's also been complaints about police behavior in Portland. It tied in the death of George Floyd and so many other young black women and men around the country has awakened more folks to the realization of structural racism. In Portland's protest, as I said, it's been going on for about 60 days. And recently, the Trump administration decided to send DHS officers to protect ostensibly the buildings and monuments in Portland. The mayor of Portland had believed that the protests were calming down and the introduction of federal officers actually poured fuel on the fire and has caused the protests to increase. Recent reports indicate that the current protests are as much against the federal troops in their city as the structural racism in Portland. Uh, Brian, I find it ironic that the protests in Portland are around the Mark Hatfield courthouse. Senator Mark Hatfield was one of the most outspoken senators trying to end the Vietnam War through legislation because the president had lied about events in a foreign country and sent troops based on those lies. And now we're protesting at a building. Think about the irony. When you talk about DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, what kind of uh, officers is the Department of Homeland Security sending to Portland? Brian, it's my understanding that uh, Customs Border Protection, CBF, which we have often called Border Patrol, officers have been sent. None of these officers are particularly trained in crowd control or in dealing with peaceful assemblies. That's one worry. We have another worry that over the last three years, but probably over a longer period, DHS and the immigration enforcement arm of DHS has been one of the most well-funded police agencies in the country. My understanding is that some of the CBF officers were SWAT team officers. Recall that DHS was formed after 9-11 to consolidate a number of agencies to ensure that the federal government was keeping an eye on foreign terrorism from outside our nation. Now the government is sending those officers trained with that skill to our cities, uninvited to many of our cities, to deal with these protests. There are a number of problems with this, Brian. The Supreme Court has ruled that the Border Patrol has different rules when it's enforcing immigration laws along our border. They don't have to quite follow the strict constitutional protections in terms of stopping people for investigation, arresting them for civil immigration violations. These officers not only train, but they operate in a context along what's typically a 100-mile area between the border and 100 miles that has given them habits and procedures that our local police could not follow. By mixing these in a volatile environment like a protest, we run the risk that they fall back on their procedures that they're used to. And citizens who are peaceful assembling to protest their government, as they are permitted under our First Amendment, uh, will 
be violated. It appears that that's happened in, in Portland. People have been detained improperly. They've been uh, detained by unidentified officers. Uh, they've been hit. And this is a, a major problem for society. We have to remember that law enforcement is a balance between constitutional protections. Too often we forget that some of the people that we write musicals about and sing about and praise and tell stories in July 4th were among those people instigating or pulling down statutes of George III. Statutes make a statement, but sometimes those statutes reflect a bad history. The colonists were pulling down the statutes of George III and melting them, and now we praise them as heroes of our American democracy. I'm not advocating violence or property destruction, but out of that colonial experience came our First Amendment to constrain police and let people assemble and protest. By introducing federal troops, as the mayor of Portland told us, we've caused more violence. That's a problem, Brian. Craig, is there any Chicago connection to all of this? Yes, Brian, we do. Remember the issue here. Typically, law enforcement is a local jurisdiction. People who know the area, who know the communities, who live in the communities, engage in law enforcement. When outside agents are introduced, violence can occur and innocent people are hurt. Interestingly enough, in 1850, the Chicago City Council was inspired by African-Americans, freed slaves, who felt the impact of the Fugitive Slave Act in Illinois, a free state. Under the Fugitive Slave Act, kidnappers could arrive from the South and claim an African-American was a fugitive slave. The system was set up that magistrates actually received a bigger paycheck if they found the individual was a former slave than if they freed them. Local police were required under federal law to cooperate with these private kidnappers. Free black citizens living in Chicago moved to prohibit Chicago city police from cooperating with federal authorities. Even uh, our Senator Stephen Douglas came out to argue that the city council could not do this, but after several days of discussion, the city council voted to prohibit local police from cooperating with outsiders. Jump forward 130 years, Harold Washington, elected as the first African-American mayor in Chicago, had opposed restrictive immigration laws when he had been a congressman. During his campaign and in his first year of his office, he had seen Hispanic members of his administration discriminated against by the Immigration and Naturalization Service, INS. INS, in the name of immigration enforcement, had gone in and looked at city taxicab files to find what it believed would be undocumented taxicab drivers. The investigation failed to find very many undocumented, but caused fear and harm to many of those hardworking taxicab drivers. Mayor Washington inspired to issue his first executive order of his administration, prohibiting the Chicago police from cooperating with INS and prohibiting all municipal officers, such as those that held the taxicab files, from cooperating unless required by law. Here again, we have a history of wanting to do things properly. Subsequent mayors have followed that order, and it's now become an ordinance rather than an executive order, and we're now known as a sanctuary city. This has made Chicago a target of some in the federal administration who don't want us to protect our citizens and our residents, all those who make up our community. It's interesting that during two times in Chicago's history, 
we've been a sanctuary city once during slavery and now during immigration. Chicago's history isn't perfect, however, Brian. We do have a history of segregation in this city. Structural racism is baked into our city and it harms all of us. We do have a, a history of protests against our own police. We have a very tragic history of police torture of African-American men, forcing them to make involuntary confessions that led to many years of imprisonment. A lot of hard work by lawyers and porters and volunteers finally uh, brought the city to recognize many people had been falsely imprisoned. We've spent millions of dollars in reparations for that. But the key point in this whole history of balancing an executive order from Mayor Washington protecting all our residents from improper law enforcement, the response of lawyers and the volunteers to address these issues of torture, the communities, is that our communities are made up of many folks. And if we don't protect all our residents from improper government action, uh, then we're all hurt. We're living in those times where we have to recognize our communities are made up of many types of residents. We're not innocent for benefiting from structural racism. And we're living at times that we need to assemble and tell our government to do it correctly and that we need to work on the racism in our society. That's why we assemble to protest, why we take our protests to our elected leaders. We work in our communities to break the bonds of racism. When you have this assembling of people to try to rectify the wrongs responded to with SWAT officers, with officers trained in border control where they have less constraints placed upon them, it not only sends the wrong message, it chills uh, the very opportunity to improve our society. Brian, some people may think I'm engaged in hyperbole when I talk about the violations of Immigration's Custom Enforcement or Customs Border Protection Officers. We produced a podcast a year or so ago involving the Dreamers. In that podcast, we made the point that protecting the 800,000 persons who were recipients of DACA status was just the first step. Those Dreamers lived in families and communities that had individuals who were citizens, lawful permanent residents, some undocumented, and enforcement efforts impacted all of them. You can go to our podcast, and there are over 100 articles linked to that podcast, giving examples throughout the nation of abuses by ICE and Customs Border Patrol officers that hurt all of us. And we need to recognize this has been going on for a number of years, and we have to change it. Brian, let's focus on the issues of systemic racism that the Black Lives Matter folks want us to focus on. Let's not get distracted by efforts to fuel the violence, by efforts to distract us from the task at hand. When mayors and governors are asking the federal government to not send federal agents, especially those that are not trained in First Amendment protections, may not be trained well in Fourth Amendment protections. When the mayors and governors tell us that the violence increases when these troops arrive, that should tell us that this is distracting us from the work we must be about. 
Therefore, we need to tell our federal government, we need to tell our elected representatives that we have a much more important task at hand. And let's be about that. Thank you. Craig, thank you so much for for telling us what's going on uh, in Portland and for giving us uh, some historical context. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This podcast is not intended as legal advice. If you'd like to learn more or check out the reference materials, please look at the show notes at blogs.depaul.edu slash DMM.